thank you for joining us on the East Bay Bible Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that you'll be blessed by the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. We're located at 1361 High Street in the city of Alameda, California. For more information and service times, you can find us on the web at ebbfellowship.com. That's ebbfellowship.com. Thank you and God bless. of Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 1. I have been teaching out of the book of Joshua back home uh, for several weeks now, and um, uh, there is a very prominent lesson in the book of Joshua that I want to talk to you about today. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, I, I, I want to deliver to you what God has placed on my heart. Is that all right? All right, book of Joshua chapter 1. And verse number one, everyone say amen when, they're there, when they are there. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' Moses's minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even unto the children of Israel. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to talk to you for a few moments on this very simple thought. Born in Egypt, but born free. Born in Egypt, but born free. Can we say amen? Father, we thank you for this word, and I pray, God, that you would touch me and allow me to preach to your people. They are a wonderful people, and I pray, God, that you would help me to deliver this word just as you've given it unto me. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Give the Lord one more good, healthy hand clap of praise. Amen. You may be seated. When we read about the life of Joshua, we see that he had several similarities with Moses. And I want to go through some of these with you very quickly. First, we see that Joshua, like Moses, insists on total observance to God's word. Two times in the beginning and at the end of his ministry, like Moses, he delivers strong words to Israel that everything depends on obedience to the word. Joshua, like Moses, understood it's not about how strong we are. It's not about how great we are. It's not about military prowess or skill in the battle. It's about obeying God. And if we will obey God, we will win every war we engage in. Joshua, like Moses, will also go on to send out spies. Joshua's spies were a little different than Moses' spies, but the task at heart was the same. Joshua, however, when his spies come back, they return with a good report. And the reason that they returned with a good report is because the man, the man that sent them out had returned with a good report as well. 
when it was Joshua's turn to be a spy, he did not come back and say, we cannot do this. These people are too great. We should just back off. Maybe we've gotten a little bit over our heads. Joshua said, I believe that the Lord can do it. And God saw that day and God saw that moment. And God said, Joshua, when it's time for you to be in leadership and your spies go out, they will return with a good report. And somebody say amen. Amen. Joshua, like Moses, will go on to cross a body of water and into a promised land by God's supernatural assistance. It does not stop there, however. There are other similarities. From everything we can see in scripture, Joshua, like Moses, was also born in Egypt. Even more amazing is that both men accomplished the incredible task of rising above the Egyptian way of life and thinking. I use the word incredible because it's not easy to rise above your environment. The cities, the conditions, the states, the countries, the families that we are born to, they have certain norms, certain cultures, certain ideas that in some cases we don't By the time we notice they've been imposed on us, it's too late. They become part of our habit, part of our speech, part of our thinking. And to rise above these things is no easy task. In fact, Bible readers down through the centuries have picked up on the difficulty of this task. And in particular, in regards to the children of Israel. And it's where we get sayings like, God was able to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but he could not get Egypt out of the Israelites. And so for Joshua to be able to rise above those things really was quite amazing because Egypt was not just where the Israelites lived, it was how they lived. So strong was the shaping of Egypt over their minds and emotions that whenever the Israelites felt challenged, they quickly reverted to wanting to return to Egypt. It had become a kind of a comfort to them, a motherland. And despite all the cruelty that the Egyptians had inflicted on them, they still insisted that it was a pretty good place. Consider Exodus 14 and 11. The Bible says, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Here they are about to cross the Red Sea, but when they hear that Pharaoh is pursuing them, they lament that they've been taken out of Egypt. Later in the Bible, they will even go as far as to reminisce of the foods that they ate in Egypt. Oddly enough, there is no scriptural evidence to support that they ever did eat good food in Egypt. Despite their insistence on reflecting affectionately over Egypt, God reminds them that Egypt was a house of bondage. It does not matter what you call it. It matters what God calls it. I said it does not matter what you call it. It matters what God calls it. And if you'll just allow me to take a little... Uh, a little side trail here for a few seconds. You know, God told Eve, he said, you will not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for in the day that you eat thereof, you will die. But Eve didn't call it that. Eve called it the tree in the midst of the garden. When God said, no, it is a tree of death. 
If you eat of this tree, you will die. But she gave it another name. She referred to it by its location, not by its potential. And it had the potential to kill her. She wanted to call it just a friend. And God said, no, that's a sinful relationship. She wanted to call it just a good old-fashioned TV program. God said, no, that's some trash. She wanted to call it just some good old-fashioned music. God said, no, that's some audible trash. We, we need to call it what God calls it. We need to keep our sanity in these last days. It's not just a friend. It's not just a movie. It's not just some music. We got we to gotta keep things... Oh, come on, somebody help me preach right now. If God says it was a house of bondage, it was a house of bondage. It wasn't just... It wasn't just a phase. It wasn't just some little thing you had going on. I'm telling you that thing was mean and it was cruel to you. And the devil wants to make you think it wasn't that bad. It was worse than what you thought. If it wasn't that bad, God would not have brought you here half dead. If it wasn't that bad, why did you almost go crazy? If he wasn't that bad, why did he almost kill you? If she wasn't that bad. Come on, somebody. If she wasn't that bad, why did she cheat on you so many times? If it was just... If he's just a friend, why is he calling at three in the morning? Come on, somebody. We need to call it what it is. Somebody say amen. amen. Despite the insistence of the Israelites to reflect affectionately over Egypt... God reminds them that Egypt was not a good place. It does not matter how they want to see it. It matters the way God sees it. Joshua was present at all these events that we are talking about. Joshua was there when they're about to cross the Red Sea and they say, this is, this is too much, let's go back. Joshua was there when they talked about food, amen, as, a delic- as some sort of delicacy that they were being served in Egypt when in fact they had never been served. That. Joshua was there when they murmured and complained. Joshua was present at all these events in which Moses Israel and God stood at odds over the truth about Egypt and Egyptianness. Amazingly enough, Joshua managed to rise above the flawed thinking of his people. He was not looking for a democratic majority, amen, to change his mind. As far as Joshua was concerned, the man of God and God was a majority. He didn't care what 10 million people said. He cared what God said through the man of God, and that was the majority. And that's where he was casting it. I'm telling you, I don't care what the world says. I care what the good word says. I care what the good Lord says. And I care what my man of God says. And And I don't care if it's not popular. And I don't care if it rubs people wrong. It's just, you know what? We might as well get down to business and say, as for me and my house, we will serve. Come on. Come on. I know the world's out of their mind anyways. I shouldn't be listening to them. I should be listening to what does say the Lord, what does say the preacher, what does say the word. And when those three are lined up, I'm telling you, brother, that wins. That wins my vote. That wins my... Not 
Even Moses' siblings could do this. Even Moses' siblings, at the drop of a dime, would go back to Egyptian thinking. The Israelites told Aaron, let's make a cow. He said, let's do it. The Egyptians thought in terms of, of dynasty. They thought in terms of inbreeding and keeping everything within one culture. And that's why when Moses married an Ethiopian woman, his sister comes out and says, what are we doing here? We don't, we don't have mixed marriages. And Moses and God, really God, had to inform Miriam and Aaron, this is not Egypt. We don't think like this. This is not how we don't. I'm still preaching good and I'm still in the book. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter who you're related to in the church. It doesn't matter how many generations you go back. We just don't think like Egypt. This is not a dynasty. This is the kingdom of God, honey. And in, and in here, everybody's first generation. And in here, everybody's got to get a hold of God. And in here... In here, the standard for marriage is, do you got the Holy Ghost? Have you been baptized in Jesus' name? Have you come out of the wilderness? Come on. Have you crossed through the wilderness? Hallelujah. Oh, somebody help me preach right now. And so the question, the question emerges, how did Joshua do this? How did Joshua stay mentally Spiritually, emotionally, above the fray. Could not have been easy. He was definitely in the minority. He was definitely part of a smaller slice of the camp. And yet he was able to rise, not just above Egypt, but above people who wanted to stay Egyptian. How did Joshua do this? Was, what was Joshua's secret? Is there even a secret to talk about? Was Joshua a man cut from a different cloth? Was Joshua a man different from you and I and someone we should classify as outside the norm? The answer to all these questions is no. James 5 and 17 tells us, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Here, James is not Although he's referring to Elias, this really could go to Joshua, to Moses, to any of the great biblical personas. But what he is telling us is that these men were people. He uses the word passions, which in the Greek means human natures. They had human natures just like ours. They were just as challenged as any of us. But then James lets us know, but he prayed. Elias, Joshua, Moses... Isaiah, Ezekiel, Peter, Paul, Mark, John, you name it. They were human just like you and I were human. The difference was they were passionate about prayer. They loved the presence of God and they understood something. I don't pray because I'm spiritual. I pray because I'm carnal. I pray because I need God. I pray because if I don't get a hold of God, I revert to my old ways, my old passions. My old... I pray because without prayer, I can't raise these kids. Without 
without prayer, I can't even stay with this man. Without prayer, I have a hard time just showing up to my job. Without, I don't know about everybody else, but God's not just my crutch. He's my wheelchair. He's my legs. He's my strength. He's my... Oh, for about five seconds, let's just magnify the Lord. Come on, clapping is good for your human passions. Come on. Worshiping Jesus is good for your human passions, for that nature, for that carnality. Somebody say prayer. It was it was prayer that helped Joshua. Joshua understood that getting out of Egypt was only half the journey. He had to keep Egypt out of him. And the only way to do that was to fill the space that Egypt once occupied in his life with God. You see, nature abhors a vacuum. I, I have to be very frank and honest with you. When I first came to church, I had all kinds of bad habits. All kinds of bad habits. I mean, I, I was not raised anywhere near church or a religious environment. And I just, I struggled the whole way through. And I constantly prayed, God, get this out of me. God, get it out of me. God, get it out of me. When in reality, what I should have been praying and perhaps some of it probably did not require much prayer, but what I would should have been doing is replacing. It's not enough just to take Egypt out. You got to put something that you. You got to replace that old relationship with Jesus. You got to replace pornography with Jesus. You got to replace cigarettes with Jesus. You got to replace cocaine with Jesus. You got come on. There's people out there complaining that we have too much church. Honey, I'm telling you, we got, a, we got slots to fill. We got, come on somebody, we got slots, we got. Come on, you got to replace lust. Don't just ask God to take it out. Put something else in its place. Put a different passion there. Put a different. Come on, don't just. Once you get rid of that ex-boyfriend, put Jesus in his place. Once you get rid of that girlfriend, put Jesus in his place. Once you get rid of... Uh, I'm preaching right now. I'm trying to help somebody. Come on. Come on. Come on. Can I be very transparent with you? There was a time very early on, and I, I, I had zero, this is not in my notes, and I still got a lot to preach, but let me say this, there was a time in my life where I had been in church probably about five or seven years, and all of a sudden I started like losing. I felt like I was losing my mind, but what it was, Brother Antoine, was the old man was snapping, the old thinking, the old philosophies, the old way of dealing with money and stuff. It's getting quiet now. <laughs> Maybe we got some, some old men in the house. Hallelujah. But you know, the, the hustle, all that was getting out of me. And you know, 
The devil screams the loudest right before he's cast out. That's right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> you know, before Jesus cast out the devil, he starts screaming. He started making all kinds of a fuss. He'd even smack some people so hard that people thought they were dead. <laughs> devil make you play possum. <laughs> Just leave him alone, Jesus. He already dead. But there's still a drug dealer down there. There's still a hustle down there. There's still a, you can call me at 3 a.m. I'll come over down there. I'm still preaching really good. There's still, there's still a grind down there. There's still, there's still, a, there's still a, a, a conniving down there. There's still lying down there. There's still an ex-boyfriend down there. There's still, a ex, there's, still a, there's still a fight down there. There's still a... And I remember when I reached that point, and I'm telling you, it was psychologically, it was, it was, it was brutal. And I could feel it. But you know what had happened was I was just riding on church and I was riding on the pastor's prayers and I was riding on the songs. And, and you know, I come to church and I came to church a lot. But you know what? When I was out of church, I was out of church. And I was learning it's not enough. I'm going to have to replace things. I'm going to have to put something else there. I'm going to have to start having an altar at the house too. I'm going to start having a, I'm going to start having a, a prayer service at the house too. I'm going to start having a worship in the living room too. Because the devil... Looks like I'm going to have to start reading the Bible too. Looks like I'm going to have to start memorizing some Bible verses. Because I got a bunch of empty slots that I got to fill. Because I... I got to get, it's not enough just to get Egypt out. I got to get God in. I got it. I'm trying to help somebody right now. Come on. How do you want to start this new year? I don't know about you, but I want to go cold turkey on sin. I want to go cold turkey on hypocrisy. I want to go cold turkey on the world. I want to go cold turkey on Egypt. And I want to replace. I want to replace. And I want to put God. You know what, let let me tell you, let me give you a little Pentecostal pro tip. There are people in every church that are directly attached to this man and his wife's prayers. You want to know how you you might be one of those people? Is if when he don't show up, you don't show up. (laughs) I'm preaching good right now. I speak it in English, huh? Capiche? And I noticed that, I noticed, man, there were some people, they were anointed to know when the pa- pastor didn't even announce when he was leaving. They just, they were just gifted like that. <laughs> but what I found out was that they were, they were riding the pastor's wave. I'm telling you in church, you got to get from riding waves to making waves. Right. I, I just told myself, I'm not going to be that person. I don't know if pastor's going to be there or not. But Jesus is there, and I'm gonna be there, and, the, and, and I'm gonna give pastors, I'm gonna free pastor up so he can pray about somebody else, and I'm gonna give me a prayer life. I'm gonna have perfect attendance. I got it on the job. I had it at school. Might as well have it for Jesus too. Oh, come on, somebody, shake that off. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Come on. Come on, don't let me step on your feet. Come on, shake that off. Come on, you've been here 10 years. Don't be the new convert no more. Come on, shake it off. Shake it off. (laughs) 
Joshua had a prayer life. I've been studying Joshua for some time. And you know, like, like anything we study, we come to certain texts and ideas with, with presuppositions. Preconceived ideas. And I always thought of Joshua as this guy who was just a really good follower. He was just good at following Moses. He was more than that. He was a prayerful man. In fact, Joshua 10 and 14 recounts to us the day when the earth stood still. The Bible says that there was never a day like that. Joshua found himself about to go to war. And this is just a good Bible lesson for everybody. An angel appears to Joshua and Joshua said, whose side you on? Are you for us or for the enemies? And the angel said, neither. I'm on whosoever side is obeying God. And if you think God won't put the pinch on you when you get rebellious and you get out of pocket, you got another thing coming. God will side with the pinch and the pressure if we get out of pocket. God, God's only question is whose side are you on? Come on, somebody. I... We know, we know what happens next. They go out to war, and Joshua lifts his hands and prays. And when he prays, the sun and the moon stand still. But you know, that, that didn't happen with Joshua having a casual, passive prayer life. In fact, the scripture goes on to say that God had never hearkened to the voice of a man like he did that man. That's just real good old King James English for that man could arrest the attention of God. And jo that was not the first time Joshua had ever talked to God. Joshua had a life of prayer. Joshua, I don't know who I'm preaching to right now, but I, I just feel so, so pressed in my spirit. You know, don't pray for the first time when you end up in the hospital. Don't pray for the first time when you end up being audited by the IRS. It's amazing to see some people go through trials and all of a sudden they're a prayer warrior. Be a prayer warrior before you go through the trial. Honey, come on. Be a... I don't want to be half dead and then all of a sudden start talking in time. Honey, I want to get that stuff nailed down now. for about five seconds let's magnify the Lord right here the Bible is not telling us that Joshua was unlike any other man what the Bible is telling us is that Joshua was fluent in the language we call prayer. Perhaps the biggest clue to Joshua's extraordinary prayer life can be found in the book of Exodus 33 and 11. It says, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. We all know this, as a man speaks to his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not from the tabernacle. The word here, tent or tabernacle, is not referring to the same tabernacle that will later be built in Exodus 35. 
In fact, in Hebrew, the nouns are different for this tent and for tabernacle. The structure which we commonly translate, amen, this structure that I am talking about right now is commonly translated by many scholars as the tent of meeting. What was this tent of meeting? It was a tent that Moses had made outside the camp of Israel. It was where people came to talk to Moses, but more importantly, it was where Moses met with the Lord. Moses had this little tent made outside of everything. It was a unique place, and this is where he would go and meet with the Lord. This this tent did not have rituals like the tabernacle. It was a tent of relationship. But what's more extraordinary is not just what was inside the tent, but what was outside the tent. Inside the tent was Moses and God talking face to face. Outside the tent was a young boy named Joshua. And the scripture says that when Moses would leave the tent, the young, one, one translation says the young lad, Joshua, stayed Can you imagine waiting for Moses to finish praying? You're going to be a while. But Joshua didn't care. He knew I can't make it without the presence of the God that's inside there. Joshua knew it's not enough for that man to know God. I've got to know God. And when he leaves, I'm staying because I want to learn how to talk to that God. I want to hear how those two converse. I want to know what's going on. I don't want just ritual. I want a relationship. I don't just want religion. I want a relationship. And when Moses is done, I'm sticking around to see if I can get some God for myself. And when Moses is done, I'm staying right here so that I can hear from God. And when Moses is done, I'm going to stick around. Amen. To see, amen, what God will do for me. I'm not afraid of God. I want to know God. I'm not going to run from God. I'm going to stay with God. Oh, come on, somebody. Joshua, Joshua insisted on knowing God for himself. It's little wonder that when Israel, did you know that Moses invited Israel? He said, come with me to the mount. Tomorrow we're going to hear from God. And you know what Israel said? We don't want to hear from God. He's scary. Not even Aaron or Miriam wanted to go. But there was Joshua. He said, I'll go with you, Moses. Because I can't see how it's possible that the God who brought me and my family out of Egypt would want to hurt me. If he got me out of Egypt, he got to be a good God. If he brought... If he saved me from drug addiction, he's got to be a good God. Why would I be afraid of him? If he saved me from suicide, he's got to be a good God. If he stopped me from marrying Tommy, he's got to be a good God. If he kept me from Gina, he got to be a good God. If that... 
if the car slid that way instead of that way when I got in the car accident, he gotta be a good God. If, if he comforted me when my mama died, he's gotta be a good God. If he kept all my friends died and I'm still here, he's gotta be a good God. Oh, come on. I'm preaching to somebody, you're afraid of getting too close to God because of what he might say. He, you know what he's going to say? Things that are going to add value to your life. Don't run from God, run to God. Amen. Stick around Moses' tent. Don't just let it be your pastor's dance and your pastor's prayer life. Let it be your dance and your prayer life. Get to know God for yourself. Talk to him. Walk with him. Speak to him. Fellowship with him. Know him. You know, and I know, I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have a pastor. You kind of get used to your pastor. But your pastor is an extraordinary person. And it would be easy, it would be easy to be entertained by him. Not that he would do it, but I could listen to Barry Sutton's sermons all day. He just preached good like that. And it would be easy to just... Just enjoy that sensation of listening to your pastor preach and watching your pastor dance and be like, my pastor dances. <laughs> While you stay stuck on the pew like gum. He's still preaching good right now. I speak it in English. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm telling you, I want to know what's making him dance. I want to know. I want to know why I feel that when he preaches. And I'm curious if I could get some of that on me. When I knock on the door, I'm curious if I could get some of that on me. When I go to high school, I'm curious if I could get some of that on me. Come on, come on. It's time for us to engage. It's time for us to connect. It's time for us to get direct with God. It's time for us to get a line stuck. I want every hand lifted up right now just for a few seconds. Hallelujah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 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 Let's all stand. I'm actually fine. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to drag this out. Let's all stand. I think one of the most beautiful examples that I could use here today is we know, we know now, we're far enough down the, down the line now, we know that when our kids get involved in Bible quizzing, their potential to stay living for God throughout their teen years, their later, goes way up. When those kids start interacting Engaging, memorizing, staying at the tent. Victory is just a natural result. And guess what? God doesn't just do that for kids trying to win tournaments. God does that for adults trying to survive trials. Do you know that there are people in this building that are passionate, but just about the wrong things. Passionate, but don't understand their purpose. 
You know, in, in the New Testament, the writers use a word in Greek. You don't see it in English. It's telos. And telos means ultimate purpose or end. And as far as the New Testament is concerned, and the writers and the apostles, they believe that everything was created with an ultimate purpose and end. Our ultimate purpose and end is to know him. Oh, yes, I'm a banker. Oh, yes, I'm a doctor. Oh, yes, I'm a, I'm a construction worker. Oh, yes, I'm all those things. But those things just help me finance and facilitate my ultimate purpose. And that's why no matter how hard I work, I don't miss church. Because that's my telos. Oh, come on, somebody. And that's why my passions stay on God. My desire. I ain't going to jump higher on the basketball court than I jump here. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get quicker at texting than I am at spitting out verses. I'm not going to spend three hours on the phone with my boyfriend my crush in 10 minutes with Jesus. Come on. I'm going to have a good marriage before I go down the aisle. Amen. And I'm going to get it in the prayer room. And I'm going to get it in the Bible. And I'm going to get it in the preaching. And I'm going to stay at the tent. I'm not, trust me, I'm, I'm okay with me wrapping this up. We sing a song, everybody slaps high fives and goes home. I'm not saying this for this reason. But when I was young, when I was 18 years old, I was, I was trying to live for God, but I was still crazy. And I was, I was just a passionate person. Whatever I did, I did it with all my heart. And I just made it up in my mind. I don't know if I was being competitive or not, but it worked. I just told myself, I will be the last person here praying. And if you try to outpray me, I just go to sleep for a while until you left. <laughs> just lay out before the Lord. But I was going to be the last one. And I'm telling you, there was weeks I read the whole New Testament. Because I knew I had to get that in my, my hard head. And I listened to my pastor pray. And I thought, when he leaves the tent, I'm staying. I want to know him. You know what? Last, last, last bit of this sermon right here. You know what? This was Moses' dream. Moses said, I would, to, I would that all of God's people were prophets. I would that everybody stayed at the tent. I would that everybody didn't come to this tent just to figure out who, who's right and who's wrong. I would that some people would come to the tent to talk face to face with God. I would that some people didn't just show up to do ritual and religion. I would that some people showed up and got saturated until they got a vision for their marriage, a vision for their children, a vision for their life, a vision from God, a prophetic unction. 
I'm telling you right now, it's happened to me, it's happened to some of you. You can come to church and you can pray and those family members that you've been praying for, God will speak to you in this office and say, I'll save them now. I'm telling you, you can come to service, you can pray and God will speak to you about your marriage and say, I'm going to command peace in your marriage right now. You can come to this altar and get a hold of God and say, I'm not leaving even after Moses is gone. I'm staying right here and God will give you a dream, God will give you a vision, God will give you a word, God will give you a scripture and I'm telling you, you can take that thing to the bank and you can go through trials and you can go through sickness and you can go through disease and you can go through bankruptcy and you can go through a, through a, through a house loss and through a car loss and through, you can go through anything on the word of God. Let's magnify him right now. Every hand lifted up. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know what Jesus said in the book of Matthew? He said, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be satisfied. You know, a lot of times we turn that verse into this thing like, you know, that's God talking to people who are sinners, who don't know God. He wasn't talking to sinners. He was talking to, to religious church folk. You know how I know that? Because he goes on to tell them, you have heard it said. And then he talks to them about anger and lust and divorce and, and revenge and resentment and hatred, all these things. He said, y'all heard all this stuff before. He said, but let me tell you something. It's only when you get hungry and thirsty. It's only when you go beyond just showing up and you show up hungry and you show up thirsty that you get satisfied. I know in King James it says filled, but the word there in Greek is satisfied. I know what it is to be in church and not be kind of satisfied. But it wasn't the preaching. It wasn't the song. It wasn't the fact that the pastor went too long. You know what it was? I wasn't hungry and thirsty. When you get hungry and thirsty, God will send down stuff from heaven. And brother, you'll go in the car singing all the way home. You'll go have a one-hour meal with your children. And your wife. And so today, 
We're just going to come with a little bit of hunger and a little bit of thirst and leave with a whole lot of satisfaction. And you know what? We're going to take it with us to the job on Monday. And we're going to come back on Wednesday with it. And some of us, we're going to come out of the new convert phase. Like we should have 20 years ago. And we're going to get the victory. Can you shout amen? Give the Lord a hand praise. Let's come up here and pray before we're dismissed. Every hand lifted up as a musician sing. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.